0: sound space brought to you by spectrum life bringing you real life real conversation and real advice from the best in class experts across all areas of physical and mental well-being join our host weekly and learn how to improve and reflect on your well-being welcome to this episode with me Lauren Guilfoyle this week I'm joined by Elaine Cahill, Women in Sport Officer at Cycling Ireland, recent Masters of Sports Psychology graduate and rugby coach. Over the next couple of weeks I will be chatting to people from all walks of life about how they take on the challenge to make, manage and prioritise habits that benefit their physical and mental well-being, despite the busyness of the world around them. My guest today has held various roles within the sporting industry. Elaine Mills, Fitness Instructor, Project Coordinator at Sport Ireland, Prior to her most recent role at Cycling Ireland, and added to her undergraduate sports science degree by completing a masters in the area of sports psychology last year,
1: Elaine, you're very welcome.
0: Thanks for having me. You're smiling. I hope that's a, a nice introduction that has covered all of your bases.
1: Um. Yes. Yeah. The only thing I would say in terms of your editing is it's Les Mills rather than.
0: I can't say that. I tried to say that earlier. I was like, I even edited it here.
1: everyone always does that everyone so I was like just made a note I was like oh god
0: Um, I actually I I often wondered is that because I I probably read it in in a French accent but it's not French
1: (laughs) it's actually a New Zealand person like Les like Les is his name
0: it's actually yeah I've definitely murdered that every single day since I started
1: reading Les Mills at like the UL schedule of fitness classes Oh, everyone, but everyone does it like like you'd be teaching or like you'd be working in the gym or whatever and everyone would be like, oh, is this, is this where this Mills is on or Les is And you're like, <laughs>
0: yeah. I think we're all maybe tra- starting to make, or trying to make it sound a bit fancier than it actually is. <laughs> um, but tell us about yourself, Elaine. Um, maybe stuff that I mightn't have covered as part of that. Where are you from? Where are you based?
1: Yeah, so I am from Kerry, grew up in Kerry um until I moved to London at the age of 18 um so yeah went to college in London um was there for eight years and then moved to Dublin then six years ago um and I was in Dublin just until the pandemic hit and then back to Kerry for the last 18 months um so yeah so that's it in terms of mapping and where I was um but in terms of myself, in terms of like physical activity and, and sport, I guess I've always had a, had a grow for sport and, and physical activity. Um, I got involved in the local football club at the age, I think it was under 10s or under 12s, maybe I think it started. Um, and I think from there, that's just where my love of movement came. Um, and that just stayed with me. In peaks and troughs throughout my life. <laughs>
0: and what what was it that brought you to London initially? Was it for college or change of scenery?
1: Change of scenery, yeah, for sure. I um, I just felt that I wanted to explore a little bit further. Um, the courses that I wanted to do, I knew I wanted to study sport, but I didn't really know what. Um, and the, I I remember thinking the best courses for me that I was interested in at the time was either. Truly or Limerick, and I was like, not too close to home. (laughs) Um, so I was like, oh, let's just go to the UK. Um, London wasn't like it wasn't where I really wanted to go, it was just anywhere. I just wanted to get away from Ireland. Um, and I just happened to come across this really lovely university. And from then on, when I spotted that and spotted the course, I was like, that's where I want to go. Um, so I ended up going to St. Mary's in uh Had I realised at the time that it was full of Irish, would I have gone? Probably not. <laughs> but it was a massive blessing disguise because I absolutely loved it. Um, so I was trying to get away from Irish people and ended up in this like fully Irish college.
0: <laughs> and I think we're going to touch a little bit later on um, your your master's. But I think a lot of people might have a misunderstanding of what the sports science degree actually is or kind of how broad it is so do you want to give us an insight into what kind of topics that you would have looked at as part of that program
1: mm-hmm. yeah and I to be honest I think I didn't really have a fully under I, I didn't fully understand going into it either um you know I thought oh this sounds cool this covers a whole range um but then maybe not knowing exactly what physiology was you know and then you land in and you're like oh my god what is this but yeah in terms of the topics that covered throughout the three so it was a three-year degree um I've covered things like uh, physiology psychology, the biomechanics so the actual movement um of bodies then there was some options to do some like coaching side um so there was like a coaching side you could go down or you could go down more of the science side and and kind of into that uh, anatomy and physiology side and that's the side I took because I was already a coach so I felt I wouldn't have gotten um a lot out of that because I was always doing CPD outside of that um so I kind of went more down the sciencey route um of the degree Um, and coming
0: on to coaching um that's something that I suppose is quite unique about you is that you got into coaching so early and I think the I, I don't know is it just the way society has this condition is that we we hear that you're, that, you're, that you're a coach, so we automatically think that you're coaching females. But no, you've kind of bucked the trend. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it's it's quite inspiring, actually.
1: Yeah. So I started coaching at 15. Um, we I was in transition year, and we got to do four weeks of work experience, and. As I said, I kind of always had this grow for movement and fitness. So everything that I wanted to do was involved. I went to like a gym um, I went back to my primary school because that's what everyone did. And I spent a week with um, this guy in, in our local community who used to go onto to schools and teach sport. And I spent the whole week with him. And on the Friday, we went to our last school and he was like, OK, you're going to take this session. And I remember being like, like I'm not even prepared. So I just took snippets of what we did that week. And I remember leaving that school and the buzz I got from it. And I was like, whoa, like, I want to do that. So because I played Gaelic football, I signed up then to do a coaching course. Um, so I started coaching um, Gaelic football. And then the rugby boys had heard that I was coaching there. So they asked me to come down. And I guess I suppose I was involved in the, in the club to say like they would have known me because my dad used to always bring me to matches every weekend so I thought nothing of it I didn't think you know oh I didn't play rugby so I can't coach it so I literally just went down one Saturday and they just threw me and they're like okay yeah go you can take this age group and I was like but I have no idea what I'm doing like and I and I remember at the time being like this is a sink or swim you know you are the only female here So you just need to go with it. So I took kind of what I knew within the drills of Gaelic football. I knew how to, how the rugby sport worked. And I just kind of threw it all together and just did a session. Um, And I remember leaving there buzzing and I was like, I just want to do that again and again and again. Um, So yeah, that started kind of, I suppose, I don't know, was it the challenge or what, but I really gravitated towards coaching rugby over, over Gaelic football um so that's how I got into it so I think I'm in a bit of a unique position in terms of I never played it and then I started coaching it um you know I, and I remember just like going to all these coaching courses then because I just wanted to learn and learn and it was always the case of like oh are you here with your dad <laughs> well like, like no I'm here for me um and then yeah so when I went to London then I, I just I just coached uh, rugby then so I ended up um, coaching within a club and then once we f- uh, I think it was my final year I think I just finished uni actually and I then was coaching um, in a school then as well so yeah I coached um, I coached right the way up and then once I started full-time employment then it was just really hard to to fit that in because I used to work a lot of um, evenings and weekends um, so yeah I didn't get back into say coaching sport until uh, last year, which I'm buzzing to be back coaching it again.
0: and when you are coaching, because again, I'm conscious of people that might be listening that are fo- trying to find a sport or an activity to get stuck into I mean, maybe you like we we're, we're trying to like expand their 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 world of possibilities um as part of this podcast. but what would coaching a team actually involve in terms of like the day of a session? what do you do and kind of because how active is it because personally for me as physio I'm actually quite active in terms of like running around the place that it's certainly a physical activity for me too even though I'm the one coaching the others uh, Mm -hmm. to be physically active
1: yeah so I suppose it it, it all depends really um and if it's a thing of trying to get people into coaching um and and kind of maybe get involved in sport but maybe not in the actual physical activity that people will think about sport it doesn't have to be that physically active you know um at at the minute in our club we're trying to get more more coaches as well and we're not looking for people who are experienced because you will always be paired with somebody with experience until you're ready yourself to whether you want to go on a course or just learn from somebody in front of you Um, so you can be as active or as inactive within that coaching role depending i guess on you know different age groups or or what your role is so um take for example if it's an underage and you're just you know a parent on the sideline and maybe you're 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 there for the whole session i'm always trying to encourage people just to come on and help and it could be just a you know within that coaching role it could be just actually bringing the underages to the toilet and making sure they don't escape out the gate so it could be like just walking from there to there you don't have to get involved in the activities now some people and some coaches want to get involved and um you know depending on the age group as well it could be younger age groups that you have to actually physically do it with them because they've no idea what they're doing um so it could be as active or as inactive as you want it to be and depending on the resources up, um, around you as well and
0: you touched there as well on the fact that you didn't play rugby but and I know we kind of both probably have studied it to a degree in terms of um, like learning new skills in that maybe some of the best like expert athletes mightn't always make the best coaches because they're so far advanced in knowing these skills. that they, they, they don't not that they don't have an appreciation for the basic kind of technical cues, but like they, they haven't had to think about them for so long. So that's probably some kind of a, a pro or, or, or benefit to you coming in as someone that hasn't played sport at that high level, that you're able to kind of pass on the, the, those more subtle, basic teaching cues because you do have an appreciation for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there with, um, you know, and like I say, it's not to say that those people who are at that high level can't come down and break it down. But for me, I suppose I've had to learn from the very beginning like how do you hold that ball like where are your fingers you know and I have had to teach myself that and I remember um even buying you know those I don't know if you can still get them but like those books for dummies you know you can get excuse me anything for dummies like I remember buying the I remember being so embarrassed but like rugby union for dummies and I'm like I have to read this you know to understand everything for me to feel competent enough you know um and I think but I've I've always had that passion for learning in a way and I think as I said I don't know if that's why I gravitated towards rugby was because it was this completely new challenge um where I didn't where I had to learn you know with Gaelic football I knew how to hold the ball as 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 you say I don't know whether I actually coached it in the right way because it was it wasn't something you had to really think about um so yeah it's 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 quite an it's quite an interesting concept
0: no it is because even as a physiotherapist myself I've had to go back to basics um and learn rugby as as well actually um because like hurling and camogie came so naturally to me that I didn't have to spend time breaking things down and kind of absorbing it from the ground up but but I've had to and it's been quite enjoyable so I do think anyone that's listening if coaching is something that may or may not be of interest to you You can branch out and maybe coach your kids' team or your local basketball team. Even if you really don't know anything about it, there is a place for people that haven't played at the highest level. Um, And Elaine, then moving on to cycling, because I know cycling wasn't a sport you were heavily involved in, but it is now. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your role with Cycling Ireland? Soundspace will return after this brief message.
2: My name is Jack Kavanagh, and I would like to tell you about my podcast, which is part of the Soundspace series. It's called Real Life, and we take the lessons and principles of well-being, of lifestyle medicine, of positive psychology, and look at them through the lens of real-life stories, stories of people that have been through thick and thin and have come out on the right side of it. apply these lessons through their lives. Many of them are practitioners in the areas of health, of psychology and many other disciplines and I myself have a story. When I was age 20 I had a spinal cord injury which left me with about 15% muscle function and over the years qualifying as a pharmacist and then furthering my studies into the world of coaching psychology and positive psychology coupled with lifestyle medicine, I've developed a real interest in how these principles can be used in our day-to-day lives to increase our well-being and to manage when times aren't so good. look forward to having you join me. Speak soon.
1: Yeah, so as like I said in the intro, um, my role is Women in Sport Officer, of Cycling Ireland, and I started it around um, about this time last year. Um, having previously, would never have considered myself a cyclist. So I think people have this perception, like, "Oh, you're a cyclist," or "Or oh, do you compete?" And I'm like, I feel like the biggest fraud in this role ever. Um, so yeah no I wouldn't have been at that level again kind of with the rugby wouldn't have had that level or that experience but since being in that role you know kind of like the rugby you just throw yourself into the different disciplines and I've been since um the world has opened up a little bit more again I've been able to go around to all these different events and clubs and actually get stuck into the different disciplines and and try them um so over the last few months i've been able to try like BMX and mountain biking and honestly like there're probably sports and disciplines that would never have entered my head um you know growing up in Kerry like you had a bike and you just went out on your bike or you cycled you know to your friend's house or cousin's house or whatever but you know seeing cycling as a sport was never in my world um so it was it's quite it's been quite interesting now to delve into that and be like oh my god there's there's so many options and the disciplines that are out there and honestly like I remember going to the BMX track the first night and I was like properly scared because I don't like feeling out of control and I don't like heights and I don't like speed and I was thinking oh my god like here I am supposedly what I think that people might think is me as an expert in cycling and I'm like I've never been on a BMX bike and I've no idea what I'm doing but the way it was coached and the way it was just put out and just just try it was the thrill I got from it like I rang my dad afterwards and I was like oh my god we need to get BMX bikes you know like it was just the thrill of being on the track was crazy um same with mountain biking I was petrified beforehand I was like oh my god this is going to be horrendous um but again the way it was just coached and the way it was just put across and the safety I felt doing it I didn't expect but the buzz afterwards I also did not expect and I was like whoa like I could do this every weekend um so yeah in terms of cycling it's you know I think for me, you know i I definitely had that naivety of like oh you just get on your bike and you go but there's so much more um to it and there's so much more out there for people who may be interested in trying something new
0: And just for anyone that's interested in that event, a question that's sprung to mind
1: do you have to have your own bike? so in a lot of places um they have bike rentals so say the so where we we went to Ballyhora and Limerick um, at the mountain bike trails there and they have bike rental there. So you can just rent your bike and rent, you know, your helmet and whatever and go out for the day. Um, The BMX club that I was at, they had spare bikes there for people. So they have like come and try events. So they have bikes available there for people. So what I would say to people if they want to try something new like that is just check out their local Um, whether it's their trails or their BMX tracks and and it'll always tell tell you on the website whether they have bikes for hire there or spare bikes and stuff
0: they're always trying to just break down boundaries here barriers I suppose and then in terms of your actual uh, role as women in sport officer what does that entail or what like I'm very interested in that title I suppose or what does that cover in terms of responsibilities
1: Yeah, so I guess it's, you know, breaking it down in simplest terms is getting more women and girls on bikes and it's, you know, how do we do that? So my role um, is funded through Sport Ireland Women in Sport Funding. So within that, they have four target areas. So that's active participation, coaching, officiating, leadership and governance and visibility. So throughout my role, I'm constantly looking at those four target areas and being like, okay, what are we doing in this space? To get more women and girls involved so whether that's the active, the active participation it could be you know say coming up we'll have online training programs um which were such a success throughout COVID that we're actually going to continue them you know even though people are still back on their bikes so or it could be working with clubs to put up um to put on like women on wheel programs so it's like beginner programs for females um within the coaching and officiating space um we have um, a women's sport coaching program so we're co- collaborating with other ngBs on that um, and that's where we support female coaches um, through yeah through through a program um, in terms of leadership and governance then it's you know we have created this toolkit um, for clubs which um, we'll give them kind of like what we're doing now is just talking about what are the barriers and how can we break that down you know and it's just simple things such as like you know within the leadership and governance space not many females actually put themselves forward to be like oh I can do that or you know and it doesn't have to be you know a CEO role it could be just part of a committee or it could be like that just within a coaching space but as women we don't have the confidence or we don't have, um, yeah, whether it's the confidence or whether it's the belief in ourselves that we can do it. So it's, it's just actually telling clubs that. So it's like, you'll actually have to approach the females on the sideline, you know, to be like, oh, here, would you like to be involved in this? So it's little tips like that, which is in the toolkit. Um, and then within the visibility space, it's kind of looking at, our, I suppose, things like our social media, our website, are females represented there um are we covering female events um, but also we have like um advocates so we choose advocates across the country each year um, from their local communities and then um, they're then within their local communities promoting their disciplines and, and other biking activities so yeah there's loads to the role but we're always trying to look at those four, four target areas and be like okay how can we support that so a lot of, like, supporting and, and chatting with clubs, um, attending events, which are always fun as well.
0: That sounds like a great, like, varied role and, and something that it's very evident you're, you're quite passionate about. Um, and I think that would probably be across all sports, not just cycling. How has your uh, relationship with exercise changed then, I suppose, over your working career in terms of, I like, think back to Elaine before she left for London and Elaine now. Would you think your relationship with exercise has changed, given your exposure to all these different environments?
1: For sure. Um, I was really green going to London. (laughs) And just, I suppose, had maybe only ever done like gay football and basketball, you know, as sports. And I think this is, I think it's quite interesting because I would have viewed if you weren't part of a team or a sport that that was sport right right it was being part of the team and that was your physical physical activity whereas I remember first going to London and we had like this sports day and it was like a get-to-know-day and they were like oh um we're gonna play netball and I was like what in god's name is netball like you know, I was thinking, oh, my God, here I am doing a sports course. And I don't even know what this uh, this sport is. <laughs> you know? um. So, yeah, definitely throughout London, I was exposed to so much more sports. Um, I had a role in London as well, um, coordinating the London Youth Games. And there was like 32, 34 different sports there. So like <laughs> I definitely got to know my sports and realized, oh, my God, there's actually so much more ways that people can be active. Um, But whilst in London also, I also really got into um, the gym and that kind of fitness side and that, I suppose, opened up a whole other area of like, okay, so it's not just a sport that you can play. And it's for me, I suppose. The whole relationship change is actually just movement of the body um, rather than, oh, you have to be part of a sports team. To be physically active or to be seen as sporty and it's quite interesting because Sport Ireland have done some research recently on teenage girls and their perception of sport and being sporty I think I could be corrected on this but by the time they're 13 they either label themselves as sporty or not sporty and like you think oh my God, that explains so much because in school, I was the only girl in secondary school in my class that played sport. Like the, So I had to play with the boys. Um, You know, and it's just like, that's huge. And like that factor, you're like, oh my God. So it's like, we need to almost not view sport or being physically active as just being part of a sports team that there's so much more out there um, and it can be just movement or it can be just you know going for a walk with your friends um, it doesn't have to be a scheduled okay trainings at seven to half eight you can just be physically active any time of day for any amount of minutes and that's going to have a massive impact on both your physical um, and mental health.
0: Absolutely and pushing on into mental health you gave me a great segue there oh. um, last year you chose to I suppose specialize or kind of further your education and study a master's in sport exercise and performance psychology why did you do that
1: oh what a great question <laughs> how long do we have um I was very much at a crossroads with my career um and I was floating and I was like oh you know i i've done a lot of different things and i've enjoyed every single role that i've done you know and um no matter what role i do i'm passionate about it and i happened to meet this person who basically was like you need to cop on and decide what you're doing and they told me you know you need to take a helicopter view of your life and basically choose look at all the different roles you've done of what you love about those roles and because I was involved with um sport and in the fitness industry you know throughout my life I've always kind of been in that space I was like okay what is it about it and for me it was the benefit people get of no matter what they're doing so whether they're a kid at London Youth Games or whether it's an older adult coming to a fitness class like you know what what do I love about my roles and it's how they feel after they exercise you know whether that's being part of a team or whether it's themselves and I was like oh so basically it's like the mental side of it and the kind of softer side rather than the actual physical activity physical activity of it um so then I started to look into kind of that psychological side of sport and exercise and that's then when I came across that um, the Masters in UL and that's where we met. <laughs> it is indeed if you haven't talked on to that
0: now in this <laughs> podcast. Um, me and Aline are very alike um, in terms of our interests but your thesis um, was super interesting. Do you want to talk to us a bit about what you actually did?
1: Yeah so the thesis involved um, creating a workshop for sports coaches um, and I looked into helping them to identify the signs and symptoms of depression and anxiety amongst their athletes. Um, and I suppose for me, I remember thinking about it within, within class, I'll never forget that day. And I was like, why doesn't something like this exist? Like, you know, as coaches, and I think being back in that, in that coaching space um, and having gone through different stages of coaching, um I was like we deal with so many different people um and we're actually not trained I think to deal with that you know you're deal you're you're trained to deal with um teaching people how to do skills and drills that's it as a coach that's literally all your coaching courses are this is how you do a drill or these are different drills or these are different skills you need to know but coaching is so much more than that and for me I've become really passionate about that coaching space and actually how much of an impact coaches have on people and then that began like got me thinking like god we're actually not equipped to deal with these people that are in front of us and we are responsible for people either coming into sport or leaving sport. Like, that's it. That's the be all and end all, you know. And, like, I've spoken to so many people over the last, you know, year and a half, two years. And I'm like, I'll always kind of try and get into the, that coaching side. I'm like, oh, what makes a great coach for you? Or what do you love about sport? Or why did you leave sport? Or why did you not go back to that sport? And more often than not, it comes back to the coach. And you're like, shit, you know. Um. So we have huge responsibilities and we're just not equipped to deal with them um and I think sport is a powerful place where people come and more often than not they'll feel safe you know and it's an environment then that maybe allows people to open up to their coach because they feel safe with their coach or they trust their coach and oftentimes we're not we don't have that training to deal with oh God, they've come to us with a serious problem. And do we do the Irish thing of, yeah, right, you'll be grand after you go. And then you're like, you either go away from us and be like, shit, what do I do with that? Or do you go away and be like, yeah, forget about that now, you know, and you just push it under, under the carpet. So I guess, you know, I really want to get this workshop out there to coaches to be like, it's just simple things that, you know, we're not trying to make psychologists out of coaches because coaches already have such, um, you know, coaches give so much of the time and majority of coaches are volunteers anyway. So you're not trying to add on extra pressure to them. You just want to equip them with a little bit more information to make their lives easier, which will hopefully then have a significant impact on perhaps somebody that might come to them with or oh, here I am I actually need your help or I actually just need to somebody to talk to because we're in that we're in that space we're in, the, in that trusting space yeah that
0: like that is the hill I will die on it's that in those environments we deal with people like in my case as physio you deal with people that have injuries not injuries and in your case you coach people that want to play sport you don't coach like random isolated skills you coach people that would like to execute those skills and i think that's so important to not lose sight of um and these particular workshops elaine i suppose again like it's such an important um workshop that i think that you uh promoted and conducted um last year but to not scare scare anyone away where like you weren't asking anyone to go and be a therapist to someone. It was simply how to recognise when someone might need help, how to reach out to that person that might need some help, and then how to refer to the appropriate professional. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. That's literally all it is. It was just, you know, because we we used to get a lot of questions, and it was like, <clears throat> what would you do in this scenario? And you're like, well, you're not a, you're not equipped to deal with that so you would just refer them on you know refer them on know who to refer them on to but the most important thing then is to keep in contact with that person so not to be like oh okay I've done my job that's a tick in the box but it's you know remaining supportive to them um after that so it's just checking in and being like hey did you go to that appointment or how was that appointment or are you going to come down and just join in on training or, you know, whatever the scenario may be. Um, so yeah, it's, it was, um, it's quite interesting because obviously we didn't know how those workshops would go down and, um, what people's reactions to them. But honestly, the, the reaction was overwhelming for me. Um, the feedback was how, useful it was and like that a lot of people had kind of you know it was really great because people were honest and were like we didn't really know what to expect we didn't know whether you're going to tell us that we need to do x y and z but they're like actually what you're saying is really basic and really simple and we can do that without any extra thought um you know so it was just quite eye-opening I guess to to see the really positive response um to the workshops Um, so yeah it was um I think we
0: if we can make it as easy as possible for people to kind of follow this pathway or even just to hear someone else say if this happens in your club this is kind of an appropriate pathway of of, of what you should do and just making that like spelling it out in some instances um because even when I was looking I remember the, the actual paper that that workshop um kind of took inspiration from you know it's probably stuff that if we really sat down and thought through it we, we might know but it's nice to just kind of see it in black and white i suppose and then to have someone like yourself and i know you had a kind of a team of people behind you there as well um just just kind of explaining it and kind of reassuring people that this is an appropriate kind of pathway to follow um and then i suppose for those coaches that would have been present on those workshops that they feel a little bit more secure um in dealing with those types of situations
1: yeah as you say like it's information we already know there's nothing that we sit on the workshop that isn't like whoa I did not know that Mm -hmm. it is simple things it is things like you know actually listening and how do you actually listen to somebody you know you don't interrupt them you literally sit back let them talk you don't butt in with like, yeah, I know. Or, oh, that happened to my neighbour down the road. You know, that's then going to shut them off. All people want to do basically is just spit it out and you're, you know, listen. Um, So it's just bringing the info that you know to the forefront of your mind. That's literally all it is. So that if you are in that situation that you're like, oh, okay, I just need to do this. Um, And it's almost like, I think, if you haven't been in a situation like that before and that that presents to you, you know, I suppose human instinct is to naturally want to help. So you think by helping is like, yeah, I understand. And yeah, oh, and let's do this when actually you might be better off just sitting back and listening and being like, OK, I hear you. There's nothing that I can do right now, but you may want to talk to this person, you know, and it it, it could be just as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you know from the feedback and from people chatting it as I said it it, people were like oh it's information we already know it's simple and it just gave them confidence that that's an appropriate response um that you don't have to know the answers and Mm -hmm. it's actually fine to be like oh I have no idea how to deal with this but I know somebody who does and I know somebody that can help you know so yeah it, it was really interesting um I really loved loved doing it and I just need to I just we just need to get them out there now to everybody um that is the next step
0: absolutely so anyone listening if you do come across Elaine and her workshops over the next kind of year or so definitely would recommend that you do sign up to that um, and Elaine just before we finish I have and I suppose for lastly best of luck in publishing that paper I know that is a, a goal of yours um so just to finish up we have our three quick fire questions to finish um so we'll see how you get on with these you're smiling back at me <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so your top
1: three social media accounts to follow okay um in terms of I guess what we're talking about here today and who the audience is um there's two accounts that i so i am again i feel like a fraud because i have not been on social or i haven't been quite active on it but the two accounts that i'll always go to when i go on to it and like regularly check in is recalibrated bodies um the information that they have up in terms of training and nutrition um is second to none um Amanda there has also done pre and postnatal, so there's that side. So there's they have that side and they have a whole strength and conditioning side. So in terms of fitness side, they are top notch. Um, because we spoke a little bit about like females and women in sport, I highly recommend um AOK nutrition. So she uh, Ashling is um qualified nutritionist, but she's very much um an expert in female hormones so has a lot of really interesting posts um and she does a lot of great q a's as well so highly recommend um for both females but also in terms of if you're male coaches um or male fitness trainers or anything like that to actually understand your clients a little bit more or the people in front of you um and then lastly again kind of thinking on what we've spoken about and what this podcast is all about um I'm going to plug all the local sports partnerships. So no matter where you are listening in Ireland, um, you will have a local sports partnership. So um, they do tremendous work in terms of getting everyone from kids to older adults into physical activity. Um, so I would highly recommend, no matter where you are in the country, to look up, so whether it's like Kerry Local Sports Partnership or Cork or Dublin, whatever, um, court uh, in Dublin you've got um your three local sports partnerships there so definitely have a look at them and see what they're um what they're what's happening in their world brilliant okay the exercise or activity that you absolutely hate to do
0: for me it's a single leg squat I hate them I hate them oh I
1: love a single leg squat um for me it is running on the treadmill I can't I just know. It's one thing I really just detest. <laughs> so no, Any fast. reason why? It's just, it just feels so unnatural, right? You're like still running and the next thing you get off and you're like, oh, I thought the whole world is still there. like, And you're just not running anywhere and you're running inside and you're just sweating. And no, I'd rather just get me outside. Let me actually see things running on a treadmill hate it detest it absolutely no and lastly
0: one activity or exercise goal that you have on your bucket list be it playing a camogie match in goals, be it climbing Kilimanjaro what might it be do you know
1: what is on my bucket list and it's been on my bucket list since we went kayaking last year in Dingle and that's the Dingle Adventure Race um I had always wanted to do something like that, but was never. I had always maybe events or something. The weekends they were on, um. So I am putting Tingle Adventure Race on my, on my bucket list. Well, it is on my bucket list, but it's. I see that they've announced it for next year, so hopefully it'll go ahead. Oh, you could add me to that
0: bucket list yes. and do it another Eleventh of June, I think something like that. <laughs> Put that in the diary. In the meantime. I'm- Thank you so much for joining me um, on our podcast today. It's been definitely an interesting slant in a couple of um, topics that I might have touched on before with different guests, but kind of coming at it from the coaching side of things, um, from the kind of personal relationships kind of that we might develop through coaching. Um, But if people want to get in contact with you, maybe for some cycling information, have you like an email address or have you anywhere that we could kind of uh, locate you, I suppose?
1: yeah so in terms of if it's like cycling related or kind of um like women in sport um that side you can contact me on my work email address might be easier so that's bike like me at cyclingireland.ie um but then for anything else you can grab me on social media and that is my cue to kick myself up the arse to get back on (laughs) social media properly and (laughs) and start engaging with people again in that space um So, yeah, so it's just Elaine on two underscores Cahill um, on my social media.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Elaine, and have a good rest of your day. Thanks
1: so much for having me. Good to see you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with Elaine Cahill of Cycling Ireland, who opened her eyes to the possibility of cycling as a form of physical activity that we might not yet have encountered and we also spoke about the importance of awareness of coaches in sport to the mental health issues and difficulties that could be faced by the athletes and players that they are involved with stay tuned for more this podcast was brought to you by SoundSpace, the go-to place for all the latest podcasts on topics such as mental well-being nourishment parenting and health and fitness